Time to get things going on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And here we are. I can't believe it. We are battening down the hatches once again and getting ready for what looks like it might actually be one of the more significant snowfalls of the season. And, of course, we will be letting things uh, over to your Rural Radio Network station to give you the details for your individual area. But... This thing does not look as though it's going to be uh, looking very much like spring. Certainly after days like today, when we're going to be probably across a good portion of Nebraska, making at least the 60s and maybe 70 in some areas, and, and a winter storm watch is posted for late tomorrow, and into and through Saturday. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and we're going to find out... Uh, I guess what I need to ask, I think I know where Susan is today. Where Where is that? Can you surprise us? Yeah, I can surprise you in surprise. And I have put in a request to have Butler County put in a storm protection bubble. <laughs> because we have... We have prom on Saturday. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. that uh, that could lead to some uh, some problems. I was going to say, Susan, nothing really goes with a prom dress like snow boots. Exactly. <laughs> well, maybe moon boots would. Yeah, that, that might be. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's probably going to hold true for quite a few schools around uh, around our region. As a matter of fact. All right, well, let's uh, put that uh, in front of us, I guess. We can't really forget about it for now, but let's uh, enjoy this very nice Thursday and find out what's going on in the Ag Department. Well, lots of things happening. Clay right now actually doing an interview talking about foreign ownership of U.S. ag companies and what it means and its effects on U.S. producers. Well, American Farm Bureau Federation's Veronica Nye will be joining him at 1219. Then coming up at 1245, Chad Moyer is on the road. He is attending an event on information about Bushel. Bushel is a division of the Murid Mobile out of Fargo, North Dakota. It's a premier applicator developer that's focusing on agriculture and industrial applications. So he'll have that for us at 1245. And then Alex joins us at 117 as she visits with Travis Praley to discuss the upcoming NACTA judging conference. It's the largest ag conference in the nation. So lots happening. Thanks, Susan. No problem. You guys have a great day and All get right. those snow boots. Yeah, we'll do that. Jason Jorgensen on sports. Huskers are down a quarterback. We'll tell you who's leaving. No surprise here. Uh-oh. That Writing was on the wall. Yeah. Well, that's probably going to happen. So uh, we'll touch on that coming up in sports. Also, the NBA and NHL playoffs are going on. And we'll hear from Kansas State coach Bill Snyder. They're also halfway through their spring workouts. Very good. Bob Rogan has business. Stocks are climbing, and an array of business executives are expressing alarm to federal lawmakers about the possible impact that tariffs will have. So we'll have something on that coming up. All this and more coming up today on Midday. It's your Ag Weather with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer, and we have what would qualify as breaking news. Exactly, and it's... uh Towards the worst side of things uh, with this storm system moving in, we now have a winter storm, a blizzard warning now in effect in west central and north central Nebraska. That was earlier a winter storm watch. It's now a blizzard warning for part of that winter storm watch, and that is from O'Neill to Burwell to Broken Bow down to around Stockville, west central and north central Nebraska, and a, win- a blizzard warning now, and that goes into effect. By tomorrow afternoon, it'll last until early Saturday evening. Still expecting significant snowfall totals. 
Uh, localized amounts up to 10, 17 inches, especially as you head towards northern areas of Nebraska where 10 to 15 inches of snow. Farther south, though, you're looking at the potential of 3 to 8 inches. But once again, the North Platte Weather Service upgrading that winter storm watch for their area in north central and west central Nebraska to a blizzard warning that is tomorrow afternoon through early Sunday evening. Now, winter storm watches remain in effect for late tomorrow into Saturday for the rest of central and northeast Nebraska and north central and northwest Kansas. Or if you're along and west of a line from Sioux City to Seward to Hill City, Kansas, once again, Sioux City to Seward to Hill City, Kansas, along and west of that line, you are in winter storm watch. But once again, west central and north central Nebraska and a blizzard warning. Snow totals expected to be about 10 to 15 inches in north central and northwest Nebraska. Three to eight inches the farther south you go. Winds will gust to 55 miles per hour and cause some whiteout conditions and drifting of snow. We do have the latest snowfall forecast map on our KRVN Facebook page. Now today at front stalled over northern Kansas is the divider between some warm air to the south and slightly cooler air to the north. We're still on the mild side for temperatures to the north of that front. South of that front over western Kansas, fire danger remains high. Rain becomes possible tonight. As low pressure approaches and develops over the Rockies, that area of low pressure tomorrow begins to track east and drags the cold front to the south. Could see some light rain and isolated thunder with the passage of that front. Then the brunt of the storm, and most powerful impact with it, looks to be mainly tomorrow evening in central areas of Nebraska, west central and north central areas by tomorrow afternoon. That will continue through Saturday as a stronger low tracks across southern Nebraska and northern Kansas. Rain will change to snow from west to east from the day tomorrow afternoon into tomorrow night. Wind speeds will increase through tomorrow evening and remain very strong through Saturday. Wind speeds sustained at 30 to 40, gust over 50. Winds will gust to 60 and 65 over the Panhandle, western Kansas, and northeast Colorado. This is a very powerful storm. That combination of potentially heavy snow and strong winds will cause whiteout conditions, the highest snow totals, once again across the sand hills in northern Nebraska. Significant accumulations of 3 to 6 inches and locally higher are possible mainly for areas north of I-80 and west of Highway 281, lower amounts as you head farther south. Now, this system moves out Saturday evening and will be followed by dry weather Sunday into early next week. Light precipitation is a possibility Tuesday night into Wednesday. In our long-term forecast, temperatures expected to be mostly cooler than normal in Nebraska and Kansas. Tuesday through April 25th, the precipitation forecast looks active with a good likelihood of above-normal precipitation Tuesday through the 25th in both Nebraska and Kansas. So, with below-normal temperatures in the forecast and active weather, can't rule out maybe even some more snowflakes in our forecast in the long term. Yesterday's warm temperatures really helped the uh, warm up the soil. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the low to mid-40s in Nebraska, the upper 40s to low 50s in Kansas. 81% of Nebraska right now drought-free in the latest drought monitor. Abnormal dryness still remains from McCook and Frontier County to the southeast. The only drought-free area of Kansas, the Cheyenne County area in the northwest corner. There's abnormal dryness to moderate drought north of I-70 in the east. From I-70 to the south, severe and extreme drought to the worst possible stage of exceptional drought over southwest Kansas. In the markets, the main weather factors include a powerful storm forecasted for the northern plains and midwest, and also rain chances about 10 days out for the southern plains. Very warm to hot, windy weather is content contributed to an extreme risk of explosive wildfires on the southern plains, parts of southwest Kansas. They'll be as hot as the upper 90s today. 
There's a chance for moderate to locally heavy rain in much of the southern plains, 7 to 10 days from today. That will be useful precipitation for the struggling winter wheat crop. A powerful storm moves into the Midwest at the end of the week. Uh, this week, it's likely to produce moderate to heavy rain, strong winds, and severe thunderstorms. Rain likely changes to snow and blowing snow through northwest areas of the Midwest tomorrow night or during the day Saturday. And that's going to further delay the spring field work and any plans for early corn planting. Really? Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Winter storm, by the way, Xanto. And that's with an X. That shows you how many storms we've had. They're up to the X's for winter storms this winter season here. Wow. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm i guilty. I put it away. I caused this because I put away the snowblower. I did, too. I don't know. Luckily, I haven't had to use it yet again, but yeah. yeah brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Uh, there is also, uh, we want to let you know that as this thing moves in, uh, we do have those uh, areas of Nebraska that we talked about. It looks as though that there are some parts of northeast Colorado that may be affected. And also, there's the possibility, as this thing comes together, of some severe uh, thunderstorm activity in the Colorado corner there, the Akron, Sterling, Greeley, Fort Morgan area. So we'll monitor that pretty closely for you as we go on through the afternoon. So strap it down, get it ready, and when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. and Cobb to strengthen its vegetable seed business in sweet corn. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Syngenta announcing today the acquisition of Abbott and Cobb. It's a U.S.-owned independent breeder, producer, and marketer of vegetable seeds. And Cobb has served the needs of the commercial grower, distributor, retailer, fresh market, fresh cut, and food service in the U.S. and worldwide. Combining the expertise portfolios and in Cobb and Syngenta, it'll enable Syngenta to increase its ability and to further enhance its offers to growers. This transaction will strengthen its vegetable seed business in sweet corn, one of the core crops in which Syngenta has a leader position when it comes globally. Well, a lack of potency in organic fertilizers is one of the factors that has kept organic growers lagging behind their conventional counterparts. But a Clemson University researcher may be leveling the field. Brian Ward is an organic vegetable specialist at Clemson's Coastal Research and Education Center. He's developed a method using extreme bacteria isolated from the stomachs of cattle to produce an organic fertilizer so rich with ammonium that it rivals synthetic fertilizers. The primary reason that I captured uh, this concept was for the use in uh, liquid fertilizer um, because organic fertilizers in liquid form are not as potent as uh, conventional synthetic fertilizers. So whenever the concept um, came to my my mind, um, it was like a no-brainer that this was a a good fit for organic vegetable production. Now the hyperammonia producing or HAP bacteria break down proteins that bind nitrogen to ammonia significantly faster than any other known bacteria, which allows ammonium nitrate to be produced in vast amounts at an accelerated rate. Ward says this process will allow organic producers to take advantage of naturally grown bacteria in a way that they've never been able to do before. Essentially, the plant does not know the difference between an organic fertilizer and a synthetic fertilizer. If based on the night, basically they consume ammonium and or nitrate, um, and so, Regardless, this is basically the same component that's in your 
synthetic fertilizer is just it's processed, it's manufactured by bacteria, so in a natural, a natural way. And for the first time, a fertilizer product can be produced in an organic form, which the same consistency in the same ratios as synthetic fertilizers. Ward says this should prove to be very beneficial to organic growers. Right now, the fertilizers that you use in, in the organic industry have to be mineralized naturally in the soil by different bacteria in the soil before that nitrogen is available to the plant. This process is a known is a known amount, so you can dose the plant exactly to what it needs because the plant, uh, vegetable crops need certain amounts of nitrogen during certain stages of the, the, the growth cycle for the plant. And so therefore, organic growers will be able to grow their organic vegetables with organic fertilizer equivalent to conventional growers. So you'll now be able to produce yields equivalent to conventional yields. After 11 years of research, the process is patented in February. And production and distribution of the fertilizer is in the works. I've gotten two companies this week that are willing to be distributors already. So what we need to do now is find a company who wants to commercialize it, and I can consult them on how to do the process. Then it should be, at that point in time, be available for distributors to distribute to growers. It's coming from Brian Ward. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. We continue the conversation on foreign ownership inside U.S. ag companies on the Rural Radio Network. Now, the basis for our conversation has stemmed this week from Lucadia announcing that it is selling out its 48% of shares held in National Beef to Marfridge, a Brazilian-based packing company. And the question has arised, what is the impact now with JBS and Marfridge, both possibly in the U.S. market? What overall does that do for U.S. producers? So to find out more answers to this question, we visit with Veronica Nye, an economist at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Veronica, we thank you for joining us. And just kind of give us an overview right now of how the U.S. sits and what percentage of U.S. livestock production as well as uh, packing is currently owned by foreign interests. Good question, and thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about the issue. It's, a, it's an important one. Folks who follow beef processing won't be terribly surprised to know that, uh, you know, the top four firm concentration in beef processing is pretty high. Uh, USDA, the last report, puts it at about 85%. So, you know, the, the big boys there are JBS, Tyson, and Cargill. And then uh, with, with National Beef Processing coming in fourth. So National Beef last year processed about 10% of all the cattle in the U.S. Uh, JBS is, you know, they're more in the 30 to 40%, depending on the year. So uh, combined, you're looking at a, at a total sort of foreign-owned slaughter capacity in the U.S. of is somewhere in the 35 to, to 40, 42, 45%, uh, depending on the year. So certainly a, a, a significant uh, role of foreign ownership in, in domestic processing uh, on the beef side. And Veronica, as we take a look here, as you said, JBS and now if Marfridge, if the deal goes through, of course, those are some contingencies. Brazilian-based companies will control 50% of the U.S. packers, the two of the large four. Does this give Brazil an advantage over U.S. production in beef? Here's the interesting thing about trade agreements and the way meat moves around the world is when countries are making decisions about who to import from, um, it's not the ownership that they're making decisions on. It's it's based on the the laws and the regulations of the countries uh, in which the meat is coming from. So, um, you know, I think we saw this with 
with Smithfield a couple of years ago on the pork side that uh, there was a little concern that what's going to happen if, if the Chinese company owning a, a significant pork processor. And, and what we saw there, and I think what we're going to see here, is that it's going to give us an opportunity to break into markets that, that maybe we are not significant players in now. So, um, you know, when you when you crack open the door uh, in, a, in a market, if, if JBS and, and Marfeg already have relations with that country, but that company would rather have beef produced in the United States. I think there's some real opportunity for, for U.S. beef exports to uh, to continue to, to climb. Uh, we're looking this year at exports expected to be up 5 to 7% on the beef side compared to last year. Obviously, keeping an eye on it. We all, we're always doing that, as is USDA and, and the Hill. But looking at this as an opportunity to, to expand uh, into, into new markets, um, is, is something that I would encourage folks to do. That again, Veronica Nye, American Farm Bureau economist, talking with us today over the large subject of foreign ownership interest in U.S. ag companies, including uh, livestock production and livestock packing companies. Veronica, we thank you for shedding light and really giving some hard answers to a subject that has quite a few producers asking questions at the moment. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, it was confirmed today through Nebraska Sports Information that sophomore quarterback Patrick O'Brien will be transferring. O'Brien didn't get as many reps in Tuesday's practice as the coaches started to separate the QBs into tiers. O'Brien has asked for his release, and it's been granted by head coach Scott Frost. Now, today was the ninth of 15 spring practices, and O'Brien was not there. Nebraska now has three quarterbacks currently in the race, Tristan Jebbia, walk-on Andrew Bunch, and true freshman Adrian Martinez. Now, Noah Vedrill is on the roster, but not eligible to play this season after transferring from Central Florida. Well, Kansas State is also just about half through its spring practice. Head coach Bill Snyder, who has seen his fair share of preseasons, says this is always a tough time. Sitting uh, in my seat, it's a little difficult in spring because it's good against good. It's us against us, so, you know, I'm from my standpoint, uh, uh, for everything I see something good, then there's something bad happening, so I can't win. So I always come out of spring practice in a, uh, in a miserable state of mind. Kansas State is set to hold its purple-white game on April 21st. Nebraska men's basketball has signed Carrington Davis from St. Louis. The 6'5", 185-pounder comes to the Huskers after playing at a prep school last year in Florida. He chose Nebraska over the likes of Kansas State, St. Louis, Middle Tennessee State, Iowa State, and Missouri. Minnesota Timberwolves were able to end the NBA's longest-running playoff drop by outlasting the Denver Nuggets in a win-win matchup for a postseason berth. Jimmy Butler scored 31 points as Minnesota was able to hang on after blowing an eight-point lead in the final four and a half minutes of regulation, and they trailed by one in overtime before closing the game on a 9-2 run. Now, the NBA has released the first-round playoff schedule, and the reigning NBA champs will host the postseason opener. Game one between Golden State and San Antonio opens up the slate on Saturday afternoon at 2 central time. The Warriors-Spurs game will be followed up on Saturday by three other openers. On Sunday, the games are Milwaukee-Boston, Indiana-Cleveland, Utah-Oklahoma City, and Minnesota-Houston. Now, for those planning way ahead, the NBA Finals will not start until May 31st. And five more first-round playoff series start tonight in the NHL. New Jersey is at Tampa Bay. Toronto visits Boston. 
Washington will host Columbus. Colorado plays at Nashville. And San Jose is at Anaheim. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chance of rain across the state tonight with a chance of thunderstorms in the north. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities closed a gate and tightened security measures at Offutt Air Force Base near Omaha this morning after a military dog alerted its handler to the presence of explosives. It happened during a routine inspection. Officials say that the precautionary measures were taken out of an abundance of caution. The base is home to several aircraft and units and to the U.S. Strategic Command, which oversees the nation's nuclear forces. The officials say that the dog's alert didn't confirm the explosives were present, however. Two Republicans are running for Gosper County Sheriff in the primary election to be held on May 8th. David Landreth is currently a sergeant of the Dawson County Jail. He explains his plans if elected. Well, right now I'd really like to just be able to evaluate what's in place a little more thoroughly, decide what's working and what isn't, and then decide what's feasible with the available budget. There's really no reason to have any great and wonderful plans that there's no money to fund them, and I don't want anything that I want to do to be a burden on the taxpayers either. Landreth once served as Gosper County Sheriff until being unseated in the 2006 election. He was succeeded by Dennis Oaken, who has held the office since then. If re-elected, Oaken explains his plans for the future. We want to get back into the schools or stay in the schools. We've been in there since I've been sheriff. We want to continue educating these young people. We want to uh, be able to continue doing our vacation checks for people when they leave on a vacation or a trip so that we can watch their place to help prevent any thefts and burglaries that may happen. We uh, patrol, and not just the highways, but the rural roads also. No Democrats filed for Gosper County Sheriff. A federal judge has dismissed a Nebraska inmate's lawsuit alleging prison officials failed to protect him from gangs and fires in a 2015 riot that left two dead. The lawsuit was tossed out Friday. The judge found no evidence that prison staff were deliberately indifferent to Brian Gary's health and safety in the riot at the Tecumseh State Correctional Institution. Gary alleges he was exposed to burning plastic and blood and water in his cell for days after the riot. He alleges prison staff allowed general population inmates to prey on protective custody inmates in the riot. Senior U.S. District Judge Richard Cupp says prison officials' actions were responses to the emergency situation and not due to sadistic or malicious intent. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. Reporting from the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. And today, uh, kicking off over the noon hour, is the Ethanol 2018 Emerging Issues Forum. It's hosted by uh, the Nebraska Ethanol Board in La Vista. Right ahead of that uh, was a meeting that uh, kind of uh, showcased a new tool that growers and uh, the people that they do business with, uh, who, they, who they sell their grain to, can uh, integrate, get together, and share information very easily. Here to tell us about it is Jake Jornstead. He is CEO, co-founder of a platform called Bushel. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Jake, first of all, a little background on you and your company and how you've been servicing agriculture here over the last few years. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in uh, North Dakota, way northern parts there. Uh, Families on both sides had farms and uh, came to the University uh, in North Dakota State in Fargo 
and began uh, this pursuit of building a company. And uh, started seven years ago in 2011, and we built a lot of software over the years. But we realized being in Fargo and doing what we do in software was an advantage if we were focused on agriculture. And we began pursuing egg as our main focus. And uh, it just so turns out that this concept of bushel came out of some work we've been doing with uh, different co-ops in the area. Start with a sugar beet co-op and be growing the grain. And uh, today we have this product called bushel that lets farmers... Uh, basically see all of their account information on the fly in real time from their co-op elevator, ethanol plant, or mill. Uh, so you're talking scale tickets, you're talking live contracts, and what balances you have on those remaining to deliver. You can see your prepays and agronomy uh, expenses. You can see your storage uh, on, on at the elevator that maybe hasn't been priced yet. And, of course, cash bids and futures. So the, the idea of farmers utilizing data it almost seemed like out there there was data overload it was all kind of separated within each company's uh, platform and they and they really didn't integrate so it, it wasn't necessarily a management solution up until now was it right it's it's just when everything's disconnected and to be honest most growers are used to just paper right they're getting their scale tickets on paper they've got paper contracts somewhere and they've got to call the the their uh, local business are doing uh, selling grain with and have to ask them where are we at with our contract how are we doing now we can't remember how many truckloads we brought in and we need to know where we're at well that's going from that to being able to pull it up on your phone in real time without putting any information in it just comes to you like your facebook feed does that's a game changer and it lets them make much better decisions on the farm all right so expand on that a little bit more you kind of teased us but what information are they seeing through this platform and and how does that affect the operation then yeah, so if they're doing business with their local co-op or ethanol plant or whoever they're selling their grain to, all they do is they download the app from that co-op that's built by Bushel, uh, powered by Bushel as we call it, and it's free for the farmer. That's the unique piece. We don't believe that the growers should have to be paying for these kind of tools if it's something that is kind of can help them do better business with the company anyway. So we, prov- we have the co-ops and, and groups pay for the product, and the growers use it for free. They type in their phone number, their cell phone number, and if you're doing business with them, they've got that information, and that's how we authenticate that it's you. We send you a text. There's no username. There's no password. There's no remembering all that stuff, forgetting my password, calling in, figuring out what's going on. Nothing. You just type in the code we sent you at that moment. You're logged in for a year, like you're logged into your uh, different accounts, like your email and Facebook. You don't have to log in every time. So Bushel, the same way. We want you to be able to see your information on the fly. You wake up at 7 in the morning and want to see bids. Uh, I want to see scale tickets, and I want to see my latest contracts that we've signed. Um, And you can do that on the fly from your phone or on the web. And from a grower perspective, it's the... They're, they're doing business on the phone. Everybody says all oh, farmers, you know, they're, they're behind on technology. We disagree. They know how to use technology. They just want to use technology that works for them, and that's what we think Bushel can do for them. And so here we are this morning. I can check my latest loads that we brought in. I can see how I'm doing for my grain in terms of marketing. I'm watching the bids uh, my local elevator, and uh, all of that's coming to me on my phone in one place with only one login. You don't have to do it more than once a year. And uh, it just makes life a lot easier to understand where you're at with things on the farm. Yeah, one thing you said I think is amazing. If you're using commercial storage, maybe you forget about that sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's, absolutely. hey, I, I've got so many bushels that I need to market here yet. So let's keep up on that, right? Yeah, so price laters, uh, as is typical way you might pronounce it, maybe commodity storage. Uh, you brought some stuff in. You hadn't priced it yet. But how do you remember what's there? They're not telling you what's there necessarily every day. You've got to ask. And uh, with bushel... We just show you that running balance. So you've got all your different commodities that are sitting there, and uh, 
we tell you what you've got remaining, and you can call in and get a price. You can actually give an offer through the app now mm. and say, hey, I want to sell that. Here it is. Let's do it. All right. So I, I guess to kind of wrap things up, how do we get more information? Uh, would you urge growers to kind of see what it's all about and then suggest whoever they're doing business with, hey, take a look at this maybe? Yeah. I mean, we, we love having them ask uh, if, if they have it at their locations they're selling to. Uh, bushel.ag. Bushel.ag is our website. Um, pretty easy to find, and it shows a little bit more about what's there. There's a contact form people can fill out, and we'll we'll give a call. We come out. We do live demos in person. Uh, we'll even send a branded version to your co-op or elevator plant and uh, make it really easy uh, to understand what the value of the product is. And then we love getting growers on board. We've got 4,000 active a month and over 9,000 using the product. All right, again, the website, where can we go to see it? Bushel.ag, bushel.ag. All right, Jake, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for visiting with us. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. Again, we've been visiting with Jake Jurenstad. He's from uh, the uh, platform, again, called Bushel, working with producers and the people they do business, people that they sell their grain to. Again, better uh, better information, uh, quicker, faster, able to make decisions on that. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Wow. Uh, I think a lot of people have been waiting for this day for a while. Sharply higher uh, in the cattle and even in uh, a couple of the hog contracts. Uh, just finally got the market looks like turned. and uh, uh, Considering the discounts in the cattle, uh, it was well uh, worth uh, seeing today, uh, we had, some, like I say, triple-digit gains, and uh, sounds like uh, cattle will be trading uh, a little bit better than they were last week, and that's one of the things that prompted uh, the uh, the rally. Cutouts were higher also at noon, not much, but every little bit helps, and it helps encourage uh, some short covering and uh, new buying into the market. So. That uh, in and itself uh, was a good uh, good way to end the day uh, in the cattle. In the hogs, uh, also seeing uh, cash a little bit stronger there, and uh, cutouts rebounded uh, today uh, uh, to be higher at noon. That also encouraged uh, some short covering and uh, some buying over there. So all in all, uh, we're going to end the week, it looks like, in a positive mode for the first time in quite some time. So uh, a very good day in the livestock futures. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached, 800-328-0134 at Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter for the first four days this week now estimated at 475,000. Hog slaughter at 1,832,000. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm visiting with Travis Prawley, an agriculture instructor at Southeast Community College in Beatrice, about an upcoming event for NACTA. NACTA, or North American Colleges and Teachers of Agriculture, hosts a judging conference every year. Now, Travis, I understand that your students are getting ready to compete in NACTA. Can you tell me what NACTA is? Sure. NACTA is a judging conference that's held each year at different locations throughout the Midwest. Last year it was at Kansas State University, and this year the judging conference is held in Norfolk, Nebraska, uh, April 18th through the 21st. 
Great. Can you talk to me a little bit about what kind of competitions these students compete in? Sure. There are a lot of different com- competitions for the students to participate in, anything from livestock judging, dairy cattle judging, agribusiness. There's quiz bowl opportunities uh, for the students in horticulture as well. Uh, just a wide variety of different contests for the students to participate in. Now, one in four jobs in Nebraska is ag-related, and that's a really well-known thing across the state. Talk about the demand for these ag jobs and what these competitions bring for those jobs. Okay, yeah, there's definitely a high demand uh, for students in agriculture. As one of the coordinators here at Southeast Community College in the ag program, you know, we're definitely preparing students for a lot of job opportunities in agriculture. And, you know, with, with what the students learn in class, they're able to apply those applications to these contests. And then these contests are just, you know, basically an extension of the classroom and allowing them to, you know, further develop some skills and, and hopefully, you know, walk away from the competition with some hardware and, and uh, you know, being able to be proud of what they competed in. Now, there are schools from 17 states um, competing in this event. Talk about what it's like as a small town, a small community college representing the state. Well, we're gonna. there's two different divisions for the competition. And, you know, there'll be some schools there from four-year institutions and then t- as well as, you know, two-year schools. And, um, you know, it's it's... It can be a little bit intimidating for students, but, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is just, you know, give them the best options in, in preparing is, is what we can in class and outside of class, and then, uh, you know, making sure that they're confident and, and ready to go for the competition. You talked about preparing for these competitions. What other things do your students do to prepare for these competitions? Well, not only as they're preparing in class, but... Uh, you know, getting utilizing what they've learned in class, but they're also preparing outside of class. Like my personal dairy king, dairy cattle team, you know, they they are looking at uh, resources outside in the evenings on their own, and uh, you know, we'll be looking at uh, some dairy animals here in the next few days before we head to the competition. So it, it's upon them to prepare themselves for for any competition they're in. Great. Well, we're really excited to hear about how these Nebraska teams are able to compete in this event, and thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. That was Travis Prawley talking about next week's NACTA judging competition in Norfolk, Nebraska. As I mentioned before, there will be teams from 17 different states, including Indiana, Pennsylvania, Texas, Wyoming, Oklahoma, and Kansas participating in 13 competitions. Having NACTA hosted in Nebraska will be a great way to showcase Nebraska agriculture and its students who are pursuing agriculture degrees. Reporting from Nebraska Innovation Campus, which is powered by the Nebraska Soybean Board, brought to you in part by the Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Soybeans rallied today. Corn was slightly higher, but wheat was lower with the biggest losses in Kansas City futures. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So the soybeans rallied today. Is that still based on demand? You know, good exports this morning. Hard to say, hard to kind of wonder what it's based off of. We saw a little more shipment, uh, shift from South America up here. We got a massive spread right now between what Argentina, Argentina is offering and uh, the U.S. is offering. Uh, kind of feels like maybe we're hitting some levels on the top side here on the old crop, but 
good close, up almost 13 cents in a day where wheat was down 10. And it feels maybe a little more like spreading as guys are coming out of the KC wheat longs and, and coming out of bean shorts. But, um, you know, got to be pretty enthusiastic here to be above 1050 given the, the amount of news flow we've taken in the shorter run. And uh, July soybeans have traded yesterday even above the 20-day moving average. Any significance to that? No, I think we get over 1080. There'll be some significance. We're about a dime away there. Uh, that would be the con- kind of the contract high we've seen. So with May coming up for delivery, I- I'm skeptical that we're going to see this market really run. Although the news flow that we're getting uh, as far as NAFTA goes is very supportive. And I- you saw that in the livestock markets today. I think if we can get a-, a trade agreement and get that put behind us, I think the focus on China will become a lot less, and I think the market will be a lot more focused on global growth and just the amount of demand that's out there. So while I am a little more bearish on soybeans, I think from a global perspective, there's a lot of good signs out there that in the longer run we could see this market really bump. But if you look down the curve and look, look, do yourselves a favor and go and look at like November 19 beans, we've been very sideways here. And until that breaks out above you know, 10.10 or breaks down below 9.70, I think we're going to just chop in a wide range here between 10.60, 10.70 on the upside and maybe fall down into the low 10s, maybe even the high 9s on the, on the November 18 contract. Well, Kansas City wheat led the way lower for wheat futures, and I think that was based a little bit more on um, possible precipitation moving into the belt. And what about export sales? They've been dismal. Oh, brutal. You know, it's just brutal. And I, there's not a whole lot you can say else about wheat. I mean, you look at the crop over in Russia, that's going to be a nice size. Given the fall in the ruble, they're going to plant more next year. So it, from a perspective of somebody who would be farming wheat, I would be very bearish. And I think this is an opportunity you have here to be pricing next year's contracts. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of forward selling uh, in a market like corn or soybeans, given that you have only really two markets that can grow it. But in the case of wheat, uh, you have a substantial amount grown overseas. I think contracting ahead makes sense. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com.